Like old people in Denmark, they always drink schnapps in the morning. Yeah, nothing, nothing gets you going like some schnapps if I... Welcome back to another episode of the Hoops Temple Podcast. Uh, y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Uh, Join me, of course, Nico and Dylan. Guys, how was your weekend? Well, my, my entire country has gone back into a, a total lockdown, so I'm not allowed to leave the house except for um, uh, stretching my legs, which um, the, the Minister of Health hilariously misspoke and said, you know, you can only leave the house to spread your legs, uh, which of course is a very different thing. <laughs> Lock, I'm locked at home, so I've had plenty of time to just drag names around in a spreadsheet. Is that what they were saying in that YouTube video she had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he was supposed to say, you know, get out and, stre- and stretch your legs. Instead, he said, get out and spread your legs. Oh, um, that's what happened. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've been celebrating my uh, anniversary. I have a one-year anniversary with my wife, so we've oh, been married nice. a year now. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, mazel tov. An entire year has been just flying away. This so, so we went out and had had some steak. Yes, I I always said to to my wife while she was pregnant that as soon as like we could, we should go out and have a big fucking red steak and some nice wine and stuff like that. So we did, we did that, and that was nice. Nice. I did yard work and upset a nest of digger hornets and got pretty badly stung up. That so, sucks. like, the right side of my body, not not pretty look at shirtless. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think, like, of the many, many, like, reasons that I'm glad to live where I do is, like, the amount of stinging or poisonous creatures is really limited. Like, the worst that you're going to do is, like, I don't know, like a wasp nest or something. So, New Zealand is not like Australia, I think, like, Every time I see someone, someone mention Australia, so they also say like there's so many snakes, and spiders, and stuff. Like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy for like two countries that are so close together. Like they've got like snakes and crocodiles and spiders and all sorts of you know terrifying things, but we've got like nothing. You guys have a giant eye in the middle of a tower that like looks around and will just kill people. So that's pretty terrifying. Yeah, you <laughs> you just don't go too far towards the east, and then you then you're fine. Yeah. Well, as far as top NBA or top 100 players go, you also don't usually go too far to the east finding that many players on the list. Nice. So we've gone through, we've re-ranked all of our players. Dylan's made a wonderful fancy formula that multiplies and whatnot and really helps end all tiebreakers. But I thought it'd be fun to end some tiebreakers the old-fashioned way, just doing a simple average of our rankings, seeing who kind of ties out and then bring it up for discussion. There were some fun ones, some weird ones. I am cheating and just, you know, straight averaging in for, for more podcasty discussions. Uh, so if one person was not ranked by two of the guys, he only has the number from the other one, just to kind of give us a little bit more to, more to work through. But I want to start at the top here. We have Bradley Beal and Donovan Mitchell. Now, both of you have Beal over Mitchell. I have Mitchell over Beal. Why are you guys so high on on Beal? He's never got his team to the playoffs. He played in the playoffs with Wall, but like he's averaging thirty and pretty meaningless stats. Why are you guys having so high? And I thus, I just think he's like one of those top tier All Star level players. Not quite the superstar level, but definitely one of the top All Star guys. And I can understand having Donovan Mitchell over him because Donovan seems to be playing more meaningful winning basketball, I guess. But I mean, his stats is just amazing. Uh, maybe Dylan can 
do a more like advanced look at what he does. But I just really like Bradley Beal. Respond to your your initial statement that Bradley Beal hasn't got his team to the playoffs. That neither has Donovan Mitchell, and that it's my guy up at number fourteen that's doing the heavy lifting to make that team the you know best regular season team in the league were they last year. So, um, I mean, we're splitting hairs between these guys. I had Beal at 22 and Mitchell at 23, and Nico was fairly close too. So I think similar players. I guess this one is a little bit of a little bit of faith that in the right situation that Bradley Beal actually could play a more winning style of basketball and, and be a real playoff contributor. I think his ability to just to, to create offense is pretty much, you know, un- unparalleled by anyone in this sort of range. Just just his ability to score, and I know Mitchell is is also you know a certified bucket getter. I, I had the misfortune of you know my Clippers had to play him in the playoffs, but I think if if Beal was in the right situation, that he could really be, he would really show that he's that same that same level of player, if not better, as a regular season guy. And so it's a little bit of a leap of faith, I think. If you switch those two players up, like Donovan was a Washington player and Bradley was in Utah, I don't think Utah would be much worse. Might even be better, but Washington would be significantly worse. So that's how I feel about that. I, don't know. I really like Mitchell's ability to attack, not not rely on a shot, although he is a better three-point shooter than Beal, uh, as we saw last season. And he did as a rookie, because Gobert was not what Gobert is, is now get the Jazz to the playoffs, and have a modicum of success. My take is that he, his game won't adjust better the playoff ball when he gets there by being a little bit more of a downhill scorer. Yeah, and uh, as I say, I like think... having, a, having to watch him for, a, for an entire seven-game series in the playoffs against the Clippers, you know, watching you know, every single one of those games, he was basically unstoppable, as you say, getting down downhill and scoring. But I just think Beal could be similarly destructive, given given the right opportunity, which he doesn't seem to want, and each to their own, I guess. Is there any merit to the idea that Mitchell might make an All NBA team this season? And I was going to say, and Beal won't, but didn't Beal make it this past season? I think so. Didn't didn't you see what his agent um tweeted about him being the first guy to have some arbitrary stats and not make the All Star team? He was All NBA though. That's also a weird thing, right? Being an, an All-NBA player, but not an All-Star. It's kind of strange. This year was really weird with how yeah. early the All-Star game was. Right. I, I forget what the statistic was, but normally by the All-Star game, or when the players are selected, they've played about 40% of the games. Uh, and this year was like less than a quarter. So players were chosen mm. really early. That's why we didn't see any heat on the All-Star team last year. So did Zach Levine actually make it over Bradley Beal in the All-Star game? I did. Damn, that's strange. Didn't he have just <laughs> like over 30 points per game or something? Yep. Yeah, 31 yeah. points per game. How was he not in the All-Star game? That's that's what his huh. agent was trying to tell everyone, Nico. That's strange. I mean, we were discussing <laughs> we were discussing uh, Julius Randle and, and Zach Levine. Who, who should take that last spot in the All-Star game, okay. right? Yeah, they, they had to leave Bradley Beal out to fit DeMontis Sabonis, Nikola Vucevic, um, and Zach Levine. Hmm. That looks so weird when you look back at, at last season. And and no Trey Young either. And Trey Young not even. Huh. Oh, last season's gonna be weird to look back in the, yeah. the record books. Damn, that's strange. All right, you guys might be right on Mitchell. He's he's a hair higher. I might have to re- revisit these rankings. Our next kind of odd couple pairing are CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram, who each tied out with an average rank of thirty-eight. Uh, I'm gonna take the initiative here because. I think Brandon Ingram, I've got the highest. The two of you also have CJ or have CJ as the highest. I think with Ingram, you have a player who hasn't put it all together yet, but has shown you to be a lot more versatile than CJ. 
Uh, his defense took a dive last season, but in LA he was um, it, he was a solid defender. He has great length, good wingspan. Um, he's never developed as the shooter that I, I thought he would would be, but he can get to the rim. Uh, he can kind of distribute. I, I would listen to a case that New Orleans isn't the best place for Brandon Ingram, but I think if he got flipped or got moved, we could see Brandon Ingram really shine. Uh, and I would I would take Ingram solidly ahead of McCollum. Brandon Ingram, I mean, he could jump as high as like top 30. Just depends on whether he really takes that next leap or not. Because I could also see him like, I guess not regress, but stagnate. Because I don't see huge potential in his defense, which I think is one of his like weaker sides. And his offense, I mean, he could just become like a much better efficient scorer. But I don't really see him developing that much in, in regards to scoring. So maybe he will evolve to like a better ball handler and maybe do some more playmaking. But I don't really see that as a... I don't really see playmaking as part of his game at the moment. So why should it become that next season? Yeah, I was going to make the same point that, you know, the shooting, he already had the, you know, sort of the greatest single season shooting improvement of you know sort of any player in recent history um so i don't know how much more you can expect of him there as a, as a jump shooter defensively like like you said nate he's pretty long so like in an iso situation he's pretty decent just you know one-on-one -on -one against a similarly um sized guy where he really struggles is because he's so long like he just gets stuck on screens so if you just run any sort of off ball or even you know just pick and roll like he's just so long that something is going to get stuck on the screen um and so that you know the the best defensive players your marcus smart and drew holiday are are amazing because they just get through screens because they're so strong and um relatively compact whereas ingram is is very not strong and very not compact but to to agree with nico the the place where you could see the improvement i think is playmaking you know he's not he, he did average a decent amount of assists but i don't think he's a, a very good passer with you know great awareness mm. at this point it, i think he he might might have averaged more assists than cj it was incredibly close 4.9 for uh ingram 4.7 for mm. cj uh, and cj yeah. had a better assist to turnover ratio yeah so i think cj's probably like the guy with the better feel at this stage maybe just for me as well with you know the the way that i do it a little bit different to you guys is i think you can fit cj into more, more situations than you can ingram just because you kind of need a a forward that can defend forwards in most spots um, whereas a guard who's a mediocre defender you can you can hide a little bit better and and the mid-range jumper from cj is just so so crispy and his improvement from three was really impressive i guess maybe i just need to reevaluate where i think about cj mccollum in in my own head canon because I remember we were doing earlier pods this year, and there was not the weirdest thing to say he was in the MVP discussion until he got injured at the start of the season. Yeah, that 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 was something that we said, yeah. But I think it's right to have him somewhere between like top 29 to 40. <laughs> well, we pretty much all have him at the back pick half of that. They're tying mm. out with, uh, looks like they're tied for the 35th and 36th spots in our ranking, with an average score of 38. Our next duo is a weird one um because they're both kind of lanky big men uh threes to fives uh miles turner and michael porter jr now dylan i know you're a big mpj guy and a big miles turner man and you have them incredibly close 56 and 57 what was the deciding factor to have turner over porter jr yeah, i think i'm just way higher on my Turner, then it seems like the common consensus. I think having a, a center that can protect the room, like he's he's an awesome 
defensive player um, really took a big step from just being a an awesome shot blocker to a, you know a legitimate defensive player. You know he might have been like top five in defense player of the year. And then the ability to also spread the floor I think is also super valuable. So it's just it just came down to you know Michael Porter Jr. is gonna be if he's not already you know just a an outstanding scoring player. But I don't know how much more he's going to be able to contribute, whereas Turner is a guy that can legitimately anchor your defense and provide spacing at the five. You know, there are like five guys in the league that can do that. And when you've got some of these awesome scoring players that need space around the rim, you know, if you paired Zion or Ben Simmons or some of these guys with, you know, more limited shooting, Julius Randle even. I think the the additive value that Turner provides is is just a little bit more than Michael Porter Jr. Would it surprise you to find out that you were actually the lowest on Miles Turner? I'm I'm at fifty six and Dylan is fifty five, so technically he's not. Oh, yeah, I'm on the middle column. Yeah. Oh, I got my columns mixed up. All right, I'm gonna edit that one out. Damn neat. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perks of being the guy that does the editing if i make a stupid mistake like that like where i just don't yeah. read well boom fixed it's great yeah, nico what about you why did you uh put turner over mpj so i was saying this to you nate just before the part before we recorded uh, or, or before dylan joined us uh, i think we might be seeing a bump in in uh sort of the defensive players value so especially guys like miles turner and Bam Adebayo, uh, guys like the, the like like them who can move well and defend multiple positions, and you know who is not limited to only post defense. They're going to be more valuable next season with the rule change. You know, seeking contact is illegal and stuff like that. It's it's going to be easier for guys like Miles Turner to to make a defensive presence. I think so. Um, I think he's going to be even better because his defense is going to be more valuable. I should say his style of defense is going to be more valuable. He might be ragging up five blocks per game next season. Yeah, pretty close to that this season. He's at 3.4 this season. And I could easily see him like average two more blocks per game with the rule change, depending on how much they, you know, actually officiate this rule change. So as the the lone wolf on the Michael Porter Jr. trade, Mm. Michael Porter Jr., high side i just i think without jamal murray for most of the season denver's gonna force feed uh michael porter jr in a way that i think is gonna make his stats look fantastic like when the lakers got davis and he first played next to lebron lebron made his life so easy and i think that's what they're gonna do is nikola Jokic is just going to try to target and try to get as much possible out of Michael Porter Jr. um, and and try to ease his own burden offensively as much as possible through MPJ, that we could be looking at a season where it would not shock me if MPJ averaged 30 and just had an insane year um, and still wasn't the second or wasn't the most valuable nugget. So I I put him really high just because I think it's going to be a Jokic boost of being lifted. Uh, Whereas I think Turner, that fit in Indiana still is weird. New coach, new system. I'm interested. I I think Porter is going to have a balance, whereas I think Turner might stay where he's at. Is he a guy who can eat, like sneak into the all-star debate? Honestly, I think they both could. Um, I mean, naturally we've, we've got them both in the fifties on our ranks. Right. Um, So there, there'd have to be a lot that breaks right for either of them. But if Miles Turner's having a defensive player of the year type season, sure. 
if Michael Porter Jr. is averaging 30, yeah, I think there's I think there's a chance that they could either one. But could could he also like I, I think Michael Porter Jr. could also just like have a season where he's just going to regress tremendously in terms of percentages sure. because sure. he could Kuzma sh- out. Yeah, sure. He's going to have a lot more field goal attempts and especially three point attempts, I think. Um, but that could also like just tank his uh Percentages. Mm-hmm. Now the the Either other way. big downside with Michael Porter Jr. is that he might just miss a whole bunch of games due to health and safety protocols. Yeah, that's also a possibility. I had not considered that. He's like the anti-wax guy, right? Yeah, he is. Mm. Yeah, that's gonna be tough for him. I saw it had a lot well, of I'm, rules. Yeah, I've talked out of it. Anti-vax guys instantly get dropped. He's coming down on my list. Just below John Wall. <laughs> anyway. Maybe not that far, but... <laughs> uh, there was another interesting pairing here, and uh, it's one of Dylan's favorite players to say. You want to introduce the next duo? Uh, yeah, the the incredible tie of one-way offensive player DeMar DeRozan and more or less one-way defensive player Marcus Smart. Nico, as the highest guy on Marcus Smart, you want to kick us off? We already know that he's a great defender. Why I'm having him so high is just sometimes players just need the chance to, you know, actually play the game. And I don't think Boston have ever kind of like given him the keys to be a pl- playmaker full time in, in, in significant parts of, of, of the game. And now it's time for him to take that next leap and play more meaningful minutes where he's not just a defensive stalwart being uh, swapped in for Kemba Walker. So yeah, I guess I'm just expecting a big leap leap for him in terms of offensive impact, but I I might be totally off. I don't know. That's just that's my thought. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of with you on that one. It's like you know the guy averaged like basically 13 and six. So and me introducing him as a one-way defensive player was not like entirely accurate. To get to your point, Nico, you know being the primary point guard, could he see you know his offensive output increased or you know he shot with me like less than 40 percent from the field last season um if the spreadsheet is to be believed it is and so if you say now you know you have to create more of the offense you don't have kimba to you know to create anything for you you know your your secondary playmaker is al horford running stuff out of the elbows could we just see you know normally usage and efficiency uh inversely um correlated except with the best of the best players which is why they're the best of the best players um so there's you know every chance that he just becomes a, a super inefficient player and you know maybe the the points go up by a, a, a couple more points per game and maybe he gets over six maybe closer to seven assists but there's every chance that you know the the scoring is just super efficient you know he, he's your quintessential is as i think it's another bill simmonsism um you know the no no yes guy it's like no don't shoot that no don't shoot that oh he made it yeah, <laughs> that's true. And, and so, like, he he's he's not afraid to shoot it. He doesn't make it often, but um, you know, all all of that could like not even matter just based on how good he is defensively. Like, even if he is a one way player, he's still like possibly the best perimeter defender in the league. You know who did average close to seven assists last season? I'm guessing Demar Derozan. Demar San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, exactly. Now I have. Actually, both of these players ranked lower uh, than either of you have either of them ranked. Um, but I am significantly more on DeRozan's side of things. He's not far removed from being an all-star. He averaged 21 points last season. He averaged significantly more 
assist as a point guard than Marcus Smart did. A better for true shooting percentage. He doesn't have that no, no, yes. It's more of like a meh. It's like, okay. Uh, uh, oh, not a mid-ranger. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Higher warp, higher box plus minus, identical defensive pl- box plus minus, and identical defensive win shares as Marcus Smart. Wow. The great defender. Mm. Wow. He's also shooting a 7.2 free throw attempts <laughs> per game. And it's going to go line. down. I, we criticized Chicago a lot for this move. And that's fair. I don't think that he's the greatest fit in Chicagoland. And I think anybody's saying that they picked up DeRozan so that they can let Levine walk or in case Levine leaves it is ridiculous because he is not anywhere near that. I've got him, what, 73 on my list because I think he is a, a high-powered reserve. I think he's what Rudy Gay was five years ago. But... Like, I think there's still a high value in having some of those guys uh, at, at the end of your bench um, or not even at the end of the bench, in the middle of the bench, the bench or, you know, French starting lineup. Yeah, no, if he's the end of the bench, you've got a solid, solid team. Yeah. Yeah. So I would argue the flip that we should have to Rosen higher than Smart. Hmm. And Nico and I were both like really close on these two guys. We had the two two spots apart. So, you know, you, you're coming back to splitting hairs and basically saying, well, what do you value more? I think DeRozan, who I've never really been much of a fan of, who I probably would have had, you know, closer to where you had him in the 70s to 80s. But uh, if not for that playmaking jump in San Antonio, where he like he's he's been like a a negative playmaker for most of his career, you know, a a bad passer and a bad field guy. You know, he he does a lot of offensive things well. He can he can get to his spots and get a shot. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm an efficiency guy, so you might say that, you know, I wouldn't like this guy because he takes a lot of mid ranges, but when you take them and make them efficiently, then absolutely absolutely. And and as you mentioned, his ability to get to the line also juices that efficiency. So, you know, he he's just a really solid offensive player. The reason that I have him in the sixties and not higher if I'm you know, saying he's he's this great offensive player. He's probably one of the worst defenders in the league. Really hard to to find a spot for him on defense because, you know, he kind of has to play point guard on offense and then power forward on defense. So you've got to, you know, it's kind of hard to fit guys around that that can be, you know, who can be a, a offensive four and a defensive three. Um, they may have, you know, the Bulls might have one of those guys in, in Patrick Williams, but really hard to fit. And if you, you know, not providing any spacing for his teammates, so making their lives more difficult too. Chicago's got a fair amount of defenders that they can play him with. If you put him out there with Caruso, uh, Lonzo, and Patrick Williams, boom. That's a, a solid defensive core that can probably fit around him fairly well with their shooting and letting him run the point. Maybe Lonzo wants it, but dual point starts is something I'm a fan of. I don't think any team can have too many primary ball handlers if they're willing to be secondary. If you've got a guy that's just going to dribble all the time, then yeah, sure, you can have too many. But I think the Nets really show that it's nice to have a couple of different guys that can be high usage in spots uh, who are going to be lower usage guys for you yeah so like Kyrie and KD you know a beautiful combo because they can both play on the ball or off the ball um but you wouldn't want to pair like I don't know LeBron and Russell Westbrook for example that that wouldn't work yeah we did we did oh wait (laughs) on that sad note we have kind of a funny (laughs) note here because the guy that went out the door so that way the Lakers could pair LeBron and Westbrook Dennis Schroeder only ranked by one of us Mr. Nico 
and Aaron Gordon. I kind of like this because they're two fringe starters, sixth man types. Um, Ironically, all three of us are higher uh, by virtue of Dylan and I actually ranking Aaron in our top up 100 and you by having him four spots higher than Schroeder. At the the same spot too. Shout shout out for random ties. I love random ties. This is strange tie. So, Nico... Can you can you provide an argument to why we should put Schroeder on our list at all? Uh, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> you put him here. <laughs> okay, so he's like my seventieth guy on this list. <laughs> we didn't even put him at sixty-nine. I actually think. The reason I'm that high on Dennis Schroeder is actually because I I remember last time we talked, you said that there was a there's an option for Dennis Schroeder to start over Marcus Smart. I think there's a chance. If that's happening, then you gotta have him in here somewhere. And I just think he's in that tire of players where he could be a starter. He's always getting a lot of minutes, uh, and there should be room for a lot of Dennis Schroeder minutes in Boston. So I can't make a good argument. <laughs> All right, then I'm still out. He's ah. still not getting ranked by me. So I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at my list, and I have Kemba Walker right beneath him. And now I kind of want Kemba Walker over him. <laughs> I don't know, Nate. I'll, I'll play you- devil's advocate and make, make the argument for you. Yeah, you, you kind of tricked me into having him on this list. <laughs> let's 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 do this. You know, the Lakers is, was kind of a weird spot for him, where he was, you know, asked to be probably a starter, which he shouldn't have been. You know, it wasn't really the right fit for him, and yeah. he had to play with a, a couple, um, you know, play with another point guard in LeBron, where he's not necessarily a, a great off-ball shooter. If you just go back to his previous season in OKC, where he was able to, you know, occupy sort of a sixth man role. Um, which he could reassume in Boston. You know, he averaged 19 points on 47, 39, 84 shooting, four assists as well. So he's a guy that can provide some scoring for you. I think, you know, that that if we look at his fit in Boston, you know, they're, they're probably going to be a pretty awesome defensive team, but they might struggle for for just some scoring punch. Um, and that's where a guy like Dennis Schroeder is is very useful. And if you're sort of, you know, Nico, your next guy you said was, was Kemba. Kemba is incredibly unreliable at this point in terms of health. You know, it seems like his knees are sort of a, you know, degenerative issue at this point. So you, you really can't say, you know, that's why I had him a lot lower. If, if he's healthy, then he's a lot higher for me. But he just, you, you sort of can't rely on him for it for to play many games. Whereas Schroeder, you know, he he doesn't doesn't tend to miss too many games um, due to due to chronic due to chronic um points. So you know, he'll 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 give you sixty to seventy games, provide some scoring uh, which every team needs. To immediately contradict myself, he is also another anti-vax guy. So you've got to drop him a few points just based on you know he's probably going to get COVID and miss some games as well. I think what happened is that I read so much. I've seen so many Boston fans uh, say that he's probably gonna start on this squad, and that's what's triggering me, I guess. Because on my original list, I had him in eighty-eight, and I kind of like that more. Yeah, I'd bump him back down. So I might just have been accidentally uh, high on him. <laughs> so yeah, I might have been looking too much at at random Facebook groups and taking opinions from the wrong places. Well, like from you, Nate. <laughs> hey, hey, I only have good opinions for the most okay. part. Yeah. Besides, he's a Celtic. You expect me to, to praise the Celtic? Come on. I, I suspect that's what happened with Marcus Smart. You had him at 83 or something, right? Yeah, it's because 
That's I trust him running my offense about as much as I trust a drunk driver. Like <laughs> that's a train wreck waiting to happen. Well, that's a lot of Lega Lega fans energy. Unpredictable offensive player. Someone's <laughs> going to try to rely on more for their offense. So I just I don't trust it. I think you're better off, you know, trimming down him and trimming down Schroeder's minutes and kind of trying to toggle the two as opposed to ramping them up. Like, I think Boston's better if both guys are like in the 28 minute range with a little bit of overlap than if they're both in like the 33, 34 range with a lot of overlap. Um, even though I think they actually overlap each other fine, I just think from a team perspective, the two of them uh, just make me nervous. I don't want to see either of them on the court all that much. You have another pairing of a solo standout versus a guy that all three of us put on our lists. And that would be Blake Griffin, ranked only by Dylan, the Clipper fan, and D'Angelo Russell, ranked by all of us. So, uh, Dylan, what's your, what's your case for Griffin on this list? And especially what's your case for Griffin, 24 spots above D'Angelo Russell. I think it's sort of twofold, as you can say. Well, I've always, start by saying I've always thought D'Angelo Russell was, was overrated and, he, you know, not really a, a, I wouldn't really want him starting at point guard for me. You know, he's just not that efficient of a, of a scorer who doesn't really create good offense and is a pretty bad defender as well. And so you can sort of look at it at a, a player in two ways, and that's first of all is like, okay, I want them to play a big role. How much can they provide for me? And then the other way is I want them to play a slightly smaller role. How much can they, um, how well can they fit in? Um, and, you know, we sort of talked about it, about this last week that, you know, Blake is not going to be asked to, Blake is not going to be asked to do a whole lot. Um, but if you wanted him to, let me scroll across the, the you know, if you wanted him to get you 19 points and 5.8 assists, like I'm 90% confident that he could do that for you if you want to be a really bad team. Um, and so if he can do what D'Angelo Russell does and can also fit in as, you know, a guy who's a smart defender, pretty strong, if, even if he's not, you know, he's somewhat limited by his his wingspan um, and his height as basically a center and can also be a, a, a smarter passer. Although D'Angelo is, is a good passer who can, who can spread the floor a little bit and, and just fit into an offense. It, it basically comes down to, I think, Blake, ironically, because this has never been the case in his career, is you know, quite a versatile player that can fit in in a lot of places or could give you D'Angelo Russell stats if you wanted to be as bad as D'Angelo Russell's team is. But what if you uh, swap Blake Griffin for Sabonis? Like, how good would that team be? Probably worse. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I mean, like, at, at you, whenever you're adding offensive players, you always get diminishing marginal returns. My stupid finance vocabulary. Um, you get, you know, diminishing additions to your offense. So for each great offensive player that you add you get less less value added and then Sabonis is also a worse defensive player than Blake you know they're similar as as passes and as shooters and so you don't need you don't need more scoring so I don't I think you probably get worse with Sabonis hmm. <laughs> okay I, I I think the Nets get better with Sabonis because of his passing and, and rebounding both of which are, are significantly better than where Griffin's at but in the the Russell versus Blake case I think he made some strong points I think Russell is still a significantly better offensive player than he's being given credit for. Um, you know, him with those Lever Dinwiddie, Nets, uh, you know, the three of them are really solid. And I guess I don't see that big of a difference between where Russell is at and Lever and Dinwiddie are at um, to, to really drop him down that far. I think he is a solid, solid third guy on a team, but 
to be fair, we didn't see it in Golden State. And like you, you know, you would have hoped that they could have at least been all right uh, when he was there. And I guess Curry went down. So it was it was uh, Russell and Green for most of the year. But they were real bad. It was just always a weird situation in Golden State, I think. That season was very strange. Yeah, I think it was kind of strange, though, because they were so bad when they were supposed to be good because D'Angelo Russell sucks. And so Golden, Golden State's problem has always been just that they can't score when Steph Curry's off, which is what D'Angelo was supposed to be able to do. And then when D'Angelo was in and, you know, Steph was out pretty much the whole season, they were like a terrible offense. Um, And so if your your best skill is that you're an offensive point guard and you your team sucks on offense when you are the, the primary point guard, then I'm, I'm just not going to be that high on you. Like I think Dinwiddie can, you know, sort of running on offense can get you to a higher level than D'Angelo can and can fit in better and as a better defender. Um, so so that's sort of my position there. Over it's a little bit more well-rounded, not as bad defensively. I guess that's fair. I think we I all think- have Spencer over D'Angelo. Okay, well, th- well, that yeah, makes me happy. I still think there's that big of a gap. Mm. I don't think there was that big of a gap when they were both in 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 Brooklyn. Um, even if I did think Dinwiddie was actually better than D'Angelo that year. Oh, we all have Spencer way over Dinwiddie, or uh, way over Russell, and way over Levert. I was not expecting that. Yeah, we're a bunch of Dinwiddie fans. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I have them. Uh, I have them within five spaces of each other. So Dinwiddie fifty nine, Levert sixty. Three and uh, where'd uh, where'd Russell go? Sixty four. So I have them all grouped very closely. Dylan, you've got uh, Dinwiddie up at forty six, and then Russell back in the nineties. So you've got the widest spread of us. Yeah, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is like a, a pretty good starting point guard, and D'Angelo Russell is like a pretty good backup point guard, ideally. Which is how he ended the season in Minnesota when they were winning. I think D'Lo could fill a, a Lou Williams role for the next you know five six years. Be be a high scoring bench guy, but that if that's your argument and you want to say that Blake Griffin is more valuable, I, I buy it. I feel like D'Angelo still is yet to find his role in the NBA, kinda. So like on a good day, he's I feel like he's close to Jamal Murray on a good day. Um, but when he's playing bad, he's just like you know. Sometimes you'll you'll see. Um, Steady Freddy. Steady Freddy, yeah. Fred and Fleet, yeah. Uh, so so sometimes you see Fred and Brent Fleet have bad games, where it's just bad on both ends. And that's also Jandro Russell at, uh, at like half the season. So sometimes he's just really great. And you can, you, you can see that he can do some stuff that makes him a good player in the NBA. But the other half of the games, he's just like so off. Surprise, but you get you really talked me into it. Yeah, so he's Jamal Murray on a good day and off night, steady Freddy on a bad night, <laughs> which is more than half the season. So put it, yeah. put it, uh, and put, let me just sort by Nate's rankings real quick. Ready for I'm ready for some spice. Yeah, let's let's put it this way. We'll we'll just stick with Dimwitty where you had them like 59 and 64. Do you think D'Angelo is closer to like Spencer Dinwiddie than he is to, or even Russell Westbrook at 55? Do you think he's closer to those guys or closer to Dennis Schroeder, who you had just outside your top 100? I would still say that he's closer to those guys. Yeah. I, I feel like I can trust him a little bit more than I can trust Schroeder. Um, and that might just be because I'm not Nick Young. So trusting him is a little bit easier for me, but <laughs> hashtag callbacks. But yeah, no, that's that's fair. And kind of looking at the range I've got him in, 
Uh, I've got him a little over Andre Barrett. That's probably way too high. Uh, Barrett's going to be better this year. I do like him more than Bojan Bogdanovic. I might be too high on Bojan. Um, then I've got kind of a, a defensive grouping, pretty good defenders, OG, Crowder, Kale Bridges. Um, yeah, no, that, that's definitely something for me to revisit uh, when we do our third uh, and kind of final tiered re-rank. I, think I, I like we're narrowing down. We're having some kind of discussions here. So I, I really like this process. Mm. But he can get you some wins. Like, I mean, he, well, he'll apparently have not for Golden State. <laughs> no, that's yeah. true. Can he get you some but, wins? In Brooklyn, at least. In Brooklyn, he could get you some wins. And I think he's going to do that in Minnesota as well. Um, I, I see him as more of an impactful player than Dennis Schroeder. Like, Dennis Schroeder can get you some. He can, he can win you a half. Like, he can have a good quarter or two. But D'Angelo Russell sometimes have like games where he just take over and hit every shot. Yeah. But then the next game he's gonna hit like twenty percent. And that definitely happened. Yeah. All right, let's kind of go rapid fire through a couple of these other ties. Uh, we got Joe Ingles, Robert Covington. Definitely support characters here. Hmm. Uh, Nico, you don't have Covington in your top one hundred. Why so low? I just think he's overrated. Boom, roasted. Yeah. <laughs> What what um what <laughs> you, these you wanted to make it quick. <laughs> Man, I had Rocco sixty three and you had him unranked. <laughs> I know I feel having Jared Jackson Jr. and none of you guys having him. Yeah. Even even though I'm comparatively high on Robert Covington and have him sixty three, he actually is overrated based on what people think he's good at. Like people just think he's like a you know, like a lockdown defender, but he's actually like not actually that great of an on ball defender. I just like him because he's he's one of the best help defenders and team defenders in the league, and can stand in the corner and make a shot. I think he, I think he's just even even though he is overrated because he's not like a lockdown your best guy type of guy as a help defender. I think he's like possibly the best defender in the league, um, and and can stand in the corner and make a shot. So I, I, I like threes and I like D, even though he is actually overrated. I really like Ingles as a defensive player. Not like he's great. But he tries, and he, he's got some of the old man smarts, like, you know, kind of hit him in the ribs when they're not looking type of, you know, games. So yeah, I, I've got Ingles over Rocco. They're uh, pretty close in my rank. He's 81 and 87, both f- further back than years, Dylan. But uh, Ingles, his ability to run the offense, although it's not as great as you'd want, he really struggles hitting Gobert with lobs. Uh, and he, he is kind of their de facto backup point guard. So that's not the best. You know, the Jazz kind of fell apart without um, Mike Conley. But Robert Covington, he played 38 minutes per game in the playoffs for the Blazers. And I don't remember any of them. Nice. Like, yeah, it just it, it was not a good series for him. And that might be small sample bias, but he just hasn't been good the past couple of years when teams have really needed him to be uh, be good and help with their defense. So, you know, yeah, he was in Houston. Helping with that defense is a lot, but I'll take Ingles over Rocco. Also, I just want to say that Ingles is just the most entertaining player in the league when he's playing well. So that's that's also worth considering. One guy I'm shocked that wasn't considered by you, Dylan, or at least didn't make your final list. Uh, our next tie are guys that both Nico and I have. You don't. Uh, Lou Dort and Buddy Heald. So why wasn't Dort on your list? You love these defenders. Too small. Oh, he's like a he's like a pretty good or, or like very good on ball defender. I think he kind of got overrated because he was like the perfect guy to defend James Harden, which you know skyrocketed his sort of perception um, when he did that awesome job on him. But you know, not exactly the the, the most versatile defender. Um, you know, he's not going to be able to lock down 
everyone the way that he did James Harden. Um, you know, he's not as good at, as, at getting through screens as like a Marcus Smart or Drew Holiday. And then he's a more limited offensive player as well. He's definitely in consideration. Like he was, he was one of those guys and Buddy Hill too. They were just outside my top 100. But I think he's an awesome ISO defender. There aren't that many guys that are just going to play one-on-one. Um, so that's not super valuable. So I just think he's more like, you know, he's closer to like David Nwaba than he is to Drew Holiday. Nwaba all the way down there is hard. <laughs> I did highlight David Nwaba as an important signing for Houston. So, but I think Dort. Do... Or, or, like, or like Jay Sean Tate. I think I'd probably rather have Jay Sean Tate than Lou Dort um, or, or, you know, some similar level. That's just a big wing bias. Come on. I'd rather have Lugan Stort than Roku. Yeah. There's a bit of spice. Uh, Dort's not the perfect lockdown defender. He does really well in single coverage isolation situations. Um, at 6'3, you know, he defended Harden really well. He does not defend point guards super well, like smaller, faster guys. He kind of sizes up a little bit more, which is interesting. But he actually came a long way as an offensive player this last season. Kind of yeah. average three-point shooter, average scorer. So if I can get his level of defense in in the playoffs, which we've talked about 16 versus 82, I will take his his defense pretty highly. And I think that's kind of where we're at at this point in the list is, you know, none of these guys are going to help your team really make the playoffs or carry them at least. We're looking at like third, fourth, fifth guys on rosters uh, at, the, at this deep. And I really love his defensive potential. Uh, and I've got kind of nothing great to say about Buddy Heald in the debate for those two being tied because Heald, Heald's a shooter, but he doesn't bring much else to the table. Nah, but Yield got something that Dort doesn't have, and that's a pretty decent field goal percentage. He made it up above 40%. Yeah, Fair which point. is nice. Um, so, and I think, actually, to Dylan's point about Lugan Dort, if you think about it, if you average 29 points per game, uh, 29 uh, minutes per game in, in Oklahoma, you should have some numbers. And, and his numbers is not that great. So it might just be a case of he's... You know, he's just starting on a really bad team. Yeah, like there are there are shots yeah. that someone has to take, and he's taking yeah. them and making some right. of them, but not very many. But yeah, I think on like a on like a championship contender, like he'd be like he's not going to average fourteen points. Yeah, exactly. Like put him on Celtics, he's not going to be a, a Marga Smart type player. He's probably getting better shots though, so his percentages may go up just because. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, what you're gonna are you gonna double Poku? and leave door open or if you put him in boston are you going to double tatum and leave uh door open so i i can see his shooting go up yeah that's true yeah on the flip side of that you've got buddy healed averaging 34 minutes and averaging 16 points in sacramento mm. you know the score is averaging two more points in eight more minutes or i guess five more minutes no, no i just see it seemed like kind of an easy clear-cut case for me for Dort to be higher yeah Buddy Hield is like a legitimately awesome shooter, though. Like he's one of the the best shooters, three point shooters in the league, and three point shooting's pretty valuable. You know, but I didn't have him top one hundred just because, like, I think he's a bench player. Um, I think you know there are a lot of starter caliber players. I think I tried to you know mainly stick with starting guys for my top one hundred. Um, but Buddy Hield is like a guy that even though I didn't rank, I'd have um, in sort of that next tier of player. I'm just outside my top 100. Can I ask you what you would guess that he shot from three for the past two seasons? Man, this is definitely a trick question, but I don't know which way it's going. 40? Like, I feel like it was like over over 40. 39% on his past mm. 1,400 threes. Yeah, 
which is like le- legitimately awesome. 39, not 49, 39. Yeah, right. 39 is awesome. 39 is like almost 40 and on high volume and fairly, fairly difficult attempts. He's, he's a guy, he's a guy I, I would expect to score more than 20 points per game. Yeah, see, I was thinking that uh, really the opposite way of, you know, only 39% which last season, um, you know, you do have the high volumes. Um, this was my same knock against uh, Devontae Graham is, you know, you're shooting this incredibly high number, but you're you're not um, you're not converting a high enough percentage in my mind to justify that. So Buddy Heald was right after Tim Hardaway Jr., Harrison Barnes, Grayson Allen, uh, low ways below Davis Bertans, Kyle Lowry. And Buddy Heald is shooting... 10 attempts a game. Lowry's at seven. Uh, Tim Hardaway is only, you know, seven and a half. Uh, he's below Malik Beasley in Minnesota, who averaged uh, 8.7 attempts per game. I, I guess I am I'm much less impressed at 39.2. Um, you know, that's that puts him in the 69th best. Uh, he's actually right there tied with Dame Lillard. So it, it's a solid percentage, but I, I would have liked to have seen him be significantly higher if if being a shooter is the one thing he brings. To the table, I would say you can get a Davis Bertans much cheaper, but you can't. Davis is one of the worst contracts in the league. Let's put it this way, Nate. In terms of expected value per shot, um, thirty-nine percent would equate to a fifty-nine percent field goal. Um, so I think even though like he's, you know, there are a lot of players that are better than him. Like thirty-nine percent when you're taking threes is still super efficient basketball. He's actually a fairly decent shooter in terms of short range layups and stuff. He shoots. Over 60% from zero to three feet away from the hoop. It's the mid-range that, that gets his uh, uh, field goal percentage down. He's a very bad free uh, mid-range shooter. So I, I understand that like, if you look at it and convert it to what it is for a two or for field goal percentage, it, it's fine. But if you look at his points added uh, via basketball references, uh, either field goal percentage added or true shooting added, because you, know, you can look at it and say, all right, twos, uh, this is a great percentage on twos. Well, it's not twos because twos also can draw some fouls and can add more to you. If he's just standing out there shooting, he's not creating or generating offense. He's not generating points. He actually has a negative uh, true shooting on points added, uh, which is not a stat that I particularly love because it usually favors guys that are highly efficient. So like a DeAndre Jordan who just catches lobs or um, guys who are significantly better shooters for the era. So like a Reggie Miller, where he was much better uh, at shooting threes than his era was. Um, but th- I guess that's my kind of thing is that he's he's good in 2006 terms. He's great. But now where there's like 100 other players shooting 38% or better is shooting 39 uh, and, and taking all of these attempts a game that, that valuable. And I, I think... Dylan, in your heart, you know it's not because you don't have him in your top 100. Yeah, I was just going to say it's funny that um, you've got him in the 80s. I, don't, I have him unranked and we're like <laughs> arguing the opposite ways. It's That's what happens when you start talking basketball players. But let's move yeah. on because we were supposed to go rapid fire. And then spend 15 minutes on Buddy Heald. Yeah. You've got Derek White at 77. Nico and I have him unranked. Nico and I have wildly different opinions on Anthony Edwards. 57 and 97. Uh, what do we make of this? Because this is like a really weird tie that uh, kind of averages all out at 77. <laughs> oh, I think Dylan should just drop Derek White and and Nate, you need to get your shit straight with Ethan Edwards. <laughs> that, then our list is going to be so much better. <laughs> I, I think Nico's finished his beer and now he's just, he doesn't give a fuck. He's just like, <laughs> nuts. 
<laughs> Robert Covington sucks. Next question. Uh, Anthony Edwards sucks, mate. Next question. <laughs> Shit straight, Nate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. I'll make the case for him, which is that he's really young. And he played in the complete dysfunction that was Minnesota. You know, firing a coach midseason with his successor already lined up in a controversial move that upset a lot of the existing players. And he got progressively better throughout the season. His final month of play was awesome from just every statistical standpoint, from his efficiency metrics. He really figured it out. And this is a season without a training camp, with as much um, dysfunction and with as you know an apathetic star who Cat, we criticized beforehand, um, but who also was going through a lot of personal trauma that probably made him even less involved uh, and to go through all of that and end the season in a really strong spot where if you just play the numbers games of hey i average 24 points with like 55 percent field goal 38 percent for three uh eight rebounds five assists you know we'd say this guy's top 25 so i, I know it's it's really small sample size but i i think edwards has a great chance of really making um, making solid progress. And I think having him at 57 is a great spot because uh, it kind of hints or hedges your bets towards him being really good while also uh, not being too high that if he regresses, um, I hopefully won't look laughable. I think Anthony Edwards for most of last season was like a legitimately awful player. Oh, yeah. Not in terms of just like, you know, he can't do anything, but like he's like actively harming your team and, and making you worse. Like if you just swapped him out for, you know, random free agent, you know, bring in you know, Iman Shumpert or, you know, someone someone to that level, like your team would have been better if you were trying to win games. To your point, to close out the season, he was pretty awesome. One, one thing to, I think, always keep in mind is, is, you know, a whole lot of basketball is randomness more than more than people like to acknowledge that like you know sometimes a few shots just fall and when you're looking at sort of smaller sample size um then you can you can make you know big proclamations based on a little bit of a little bit of luck and so while i think he definitely made progress as a player towards the end of the season i don't think he's the player that you know he he had a hot month um and i don't think that's necessarily representative he was and and Derek white too were like the two of the guys that i was sort of most unsure on I could absolutely like hear a case for Derek White being outside the top 100, and I had him at 77. You know, I could see an argument for just straight swapping those guys in terms of my rankings. You know, having Anthony Edwards in the 70s and having White unranked, um, they were definitely two guys I was quite unsure on. Ultimately, I just sort of decided that Edwards is, you know, getting better, but he's still young and was terrible for most of last year. And Derek White, you know, what it, what we saw in the bubble, I think, is still just hanging in my mind that this guy can be like a legitimately good starting two-way point guard. I feel like Anthony Edwards and Miles Bridges would post very similar stats if they changed teams. That's a weird statement on its own. I think I was thinking a lot of things. No, like Miles Bridges is like this extremely, uh, you know, athletic guy who can kind of defend and shoot and dunk the ball and if you look at their stats they're very similar but miles bridges still have positive numbers in the advanced columns and he's actually efficient in his shooting i think like the, the biggest part of anthony Edwards' game 
in terms of his negative value is just that he's not very efficient. But if you could tone down some of his game, like if you made made him take less bad shots and stuff like that. I don't think that's going to happen, Nico. No, I don't think so too. I don't, but... I don't think he's going to be toning anything down. <laughs> nah, <laughs> I don't think so as well. But if he was on the Charlotte the Bobcats, I was about to say, Hornets, I think he would post very similar stats to Miles Bridges. We'll let the listeners decide this one. Hit us up on Twitter at Temple Entertainment Media. Let us know what you think. Uh, to kind of continue rapid fire through these, Nico, what's your case for Patty Mills on and Derek Rose off? Something's gone wrong because I had Patty Mills in my list. Oh, did I uh, mess up with formula? Did I grab the wrong list for you, Dylan? Hang on, maybe I've messed up importing the bridge and go to my original. Because no, I can't make the case for Derek Rose being on and Patty Mills off. We did some more updates. Here's the live live rankings from our podcast. Yeah, things things change on the fly around here. Yeah, it's going real quick. So, Bam Adebayo or Rudy Gobert? Because Nico and I choose Bam. I think I like the versatility uh, that he can kind of dribble and create for himself to some degree, as well as for others offensively. And I feel like he's a more switchable, more playoff-ready defender, whereas Gobert is the ultimate 82-game defender, but can struggle a little bit in the playoffs and really is super point guard def- dependent. Um, yes, that is all true. Um, <laughs> Bam is definitely has some versatility advantages. You know, he's a, a a lot better of an offensive player. You know, he can create a little bit for himself as well as as finish off of a off of a point guard. He can switch and defend a little bit more on the perimeter, and is also still a, a very good defensive player um, on the interior. I think Rudy Gobert is just so much better of a defensive player than everyone else in the league. If he's on your team, you're just going to be good at defense. And I don't think that's true of basically any other player in the league um, besides maybe Giannis. As I think his I think his postseason struggles are overstated. You know, Bam's switchability is definitely a lot more useful in the playoffs. You know, if we're talking about playoff players, maybe I'd rather have Bam. But just you are going to be an awesome defense if you have Rudy Gobert. And that's not true of really any other player. So we already touched on a few of these guys. I'm going to skip over for ties. Uh, but that brings us down to John Morant and De'Aaron Fox, which I think is a really fun kind of two-man split. Nico, what's the case for Fox? Fox actually had a very decent season, um, previous season. Um, I just think he's both a very decent defender and he's been improving every single season in terms of playmaking. His biggest, biggest weak point has been shooting, but it didn't seem like that big of a problem last season. It's not one of John Morant's strengths. No, and I'm talking about De'Aaron Fox here. You can kind of say the same things about these two players. They're kind of reminiscent of each other. Like De'Aaron Fox is maybe a little bit more physical, I feel, than Ja Morant. Not that Ja Morant shies away from uh, contact. Not at all. At all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but I feel like De'Aaron Fox got some more, um, you know, weight to him. And they're both like speedy guys. They're both pretty good offensive players, but but not great shooters. Hmm. They're very close, but I think just this. I mean, he's uh, Darren Fox. He's 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 more mature. I think they are really close. They are a virtual tie in our rankings. So 
But I just think that Darren Fox is is close on age to you know uh, he, he's about to be at the point of his career where he is you know considered a more mature player. He's not you know young young. He's like entering his prime, I guess. So I expect him to uh, yeah you know mature. <laughs> Um, more than Jamarant. I think we're going to see a few seasons from Jamarant where he's still super exciting to watch and damn, great potential, but he's still so young, so um, I don't expect his efficiency and um, uh, yeah, efficiency to like go up that much. If I asked you how many points per game Deron Fox got last season, would you like save 25 points per game immediately? I would say in the 22 to 25 range. Like, I probably would have said 22 if asked, and if I wasn't looking at a spreadsheet with his points directly in front of me, but... This might be a case of me not watching a lot of Sacramento games, and and when I look at his stats, I'm just so impressed. So um, (laughs) that alone might make me rank him a bit higher. That's the funny thing with John Morant, um, who really does a great job. Like, like you watch him on the court, and it seems like he's everywhere. And then you look at the stat sheet, and it seems like he's, he's not there as much. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one stat where he is there, which is something that sort of surprised me, and I think maybe something that really convinced me to put him a lot higher than where I initially would have, just looking at you know um, him as an overall player, is the Grizzlies are just like so much better on offense when he's on. So like when he's on, they score 116 points per 100, which is a pretty decent offense, and they're 9.7 points worse when he's off, um, which is 96th percentile. Um, so that just basically tells you that you know when he's on, and they have they have good backup point guards too, like Tyus Jones and Anthony Melton. You know, a, a good backup point guard. So it's not like you know there's no one to back him up. Um, but they're just so much better on offense when he's in, and I think that probably speaks to something that the box score stats don't capture, and probably something that you, you that your eye test did capture, Nate. You know, you're saying that it seems like he's doing a lot, but it doesn't show up in the box score. Well, this stat tells you, yep, your eye test is right. He's doing a lot for this team. And the inverse for De'Aaron Fox, and this could be because he is backed up by Halliburton. Halliburton had a, a fantastic season for a rookie. Um, when Fox was on the court, the the Kings' offense was better, but they were they had a worse defensive rating. So they were negative five with him on the court um, using the play-by-play stats uh, from playbyplaystats.com. When he was off the court, De'Aaron, the Kings actually weren't as bad. They were uh, not as good offensively, but significantly better defensively. And so they were only a, a negative 2.1. So I I really like De'Aaron Fox. Um, I think he's a blur. I think part of that could be Walton's coaching, um, which... Yeah, they they in his defense, he does have one of the worst coaches in the league. It's taken a lot for me to turn on Walton because of my Laker fandom, but I I would agree that... Fox is being held back as opposed to being propelled forward. Uh, whereas Ja, um, Ja's, yeah, Ja's propelling the Grizzlies forward. Well, because we're running late, I kind of want to jump down quite a ways and end with a fun little grab bag, which is we had four players in a four-way tie for 91. Uh, and these four players actually will likely, just because of how the rankings work, end up being... Uh, 96, 97, 98, 99, um, just by their their scores uh, using Dylan's method, which uh, penalizes players for being uh, left off of lists. So, which I agree is the right method. But all of these players made two lists and were left off of one. Dylan, you're the only player with all four players. We have Jonas Valanciunas, DeAndre Hunter, Dylan Brooks, and Seth Curry. You can only keep one of them. Who are you keeping? Go. 
big wing boss over here, Nate. DeAndre Hunter it is. Nico, what about you? I'm probably going with Seth Curry. Interesting. He was not left on your list. Huh. I'm looking at these guys, I think I'm also <laughs> going to go with Seth Curry. I just feel like he's the most versatile or switchable player. Um, I love Big Val, but yeah, I think I'm also picking Curry. Let's let's put the question this way: Who would who would you want on your team? Still Seth? At the Lakers? Hell yeah, I'm taking Seth. Yeah, yeah. But I still think Dylan Brooks is going to have a better season. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Brooks is a similar player, a lot better as a defender, but more inconsistent as a scorer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Curry's at 45 percent from three. Brooks is at 34.4. What are you uh, for the Lakers? I will. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Is shooters have gotten so good that if you were to just guess how many players shot over 40% last season, like, what would you guess? Yeah, my history of basketball knowledge would say, like, I don't know, like, six, but um, it's, it's got to be, like, well, there must be, like, a dozen players or something, right? 50. 50? Wow. Yeah. Nikola Vucevic was is number 50 at 40% on 6.3 attempts. And that's why when I'm saying, like, you know, you're shooting 10 attempts a game, but you're... You're at 38. Yeah, 2006, that's amazing. But now you're, you know, okay, cool. That's that's 70 or 80 in the league. You get three-point percent. I think the big takeaway from that is that there should be even more three-point shooting in the league. Like, just stop taking twos. If you get 50 guys that that can make over 40%, like, you have to shoot a crazy efficiency from two to get up to the expected value of a 40% three-point shot. So that, that hmm. that's my take. I'm going to move what all, is, what, all of the all of the three point shooters into the top one hundred, and anyone that can't shoot threes, Demar, you know those those twos are super efficient, but you just you just can't get to Seth Curry level. So the correlating efficiency for bigs, you or for anyone, you would have to shoot sixty percent on twos. How many players do you think shoot sixty percent or better on two? Hmm. I'm gonna guess the same amount, like fifty. Nico, any guesses? Thirty. Twenty. Huh. And you want to yeah. guess the one player that's on both sides of that list? Over sixty uh, and over forty. The, the, Actually, I apologize. There are three <laughs> players over 60 and over really? 40. Three? Wow. Damn. Um, All three are in their top 100, so they're not obscure names. Huh, really? That's crazy. Uh, I will give you the three field goal attempts, or sorry, three-point attempts and two-point attempts. So the first one, 4.4 three-point attempts and 4.92, so a pretty balanced in and out. Second one, 6.33s, 7.12s. Third one is a three-point specialist, 8.53s, 1.42s. This is blowing my mind. I can't believe there's a 60-40 guy in the league, let alone three of them. There's... And, and like they're actually getting shots up. It's not like, yep, I made one. I make one out of two threes every game or 0.8 oh. out of two threes every game. Man. Yeah. The one guy that's not shooting very many twos, I'm just going to tell you because he kind of makes sense. Uh, that's Duncan Robinson with eight and a half of threes a game and only one in a four or 1.4 twos so 40 what, what and 62 are you using uh i'm using in basketball references two point percentage and three point oh, percentage, two point percentage. So, i thought you were doing field yeah. goal i was like what, what duncan robinson shoots 60 percent from the field okay that makes, no, that no, makes no, a no. lot more sense two okay. point percentage <laughs> and three point yeah. percentage yeah how about a guy yeah. like joe harris joe harris is not there for the the two point um Kyrie. not Kyrie. Damn. Uh, who else is side and outside? Are they bigs? They are both small forwards. Is it? Is it? Um. <laughs> um. Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges. Nice. With forty-two point five percent from three on four point four attempts, and sixty-four point seven percent from two on four point nine attempts. 
Yeah, hmm. I'd just like to say that I definitely knew that because of how high I ranked. <laughs> it is a really strong case since he's crazy efficient in both areas. So and like an awesome defender uh, and the best uh, free throw percentage. Yeah, so p- pick it up, Nate. You got you got to get Mikel in your top fifty. Apparently, I do. Maybe I can put him over <laughs> uh, over the other guy who is hanging out at fifty one on my list, which is Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, that was going to be my second guess. Yeah, 44% think, from three and uh, 62.8 from two. I think Kevin Durant is really close, right? It's got to be. Durant is there for three, but only 57.7 from two. Yeah, like really close. <laughs> yeah. Miles Bridges is also very close. 40% three, 59 in for two. Mm. Where's, where's Kyrie? I thought he would be there. John Collins is on the cusp. 39.9 and 61.5. Kyrie struggles from two. He's only 56%. Huh. He's not getting enough post-ups. So oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. There's not a lot of... Even if you just look at it, if you sort this by a field goal percentage, this like top 100 list we have, there's just not a lot of guys with... You, it's not like back in the days you had like this, these great posts offense players tim duncan even like jermaine o'neill and guys like that on are the days of uh oh shit why can't i remember his name al jefferson yeah kirk goldberry literally used him as an example of the worst least efficient offense and uh (laughs) yeah you don't see much of much of those type of guys anymore hey i had valentunas as a top 100 player we all did if if he stayed in memphis i would have kept him i dropped him out oh i just i don't think him and zion are gonna fit at all so since i considered fit pretty heavily in my rankings you know how are you going to be this next season um yeah he fell wow l jefferson is only a 50 percent two-point shooter yeah you don't want to see him shoot threes well gentlemen any closing thoughts on the top 100 round two it's developing nicely we're we're narrowing things down Mm -hmm. all right well this has been another episode of the hoops temple podcast like and follow us on facebook follow us on twitter at temple entertainment and media uh let us know if you got any questions or any thoughts or responses at hoopstemple at gmail.com love to hear from you see you all